0: Nope, just me. Hey, good morning, everybody. I wasn't sure. What oh, that's okay, cool. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Ty. I'll be your DJ today. No. It's a computer up here. It's pretty cool. Hey, my name's Ty. I'm one of the pastors here. It's an absolute joy to be with each and every one of you. Uh, we've got a few announcements before we begin. Uh, number one, we are partnering with foster kids. And so uh, I think last week we said something about buying gifts for some foster kids in the Valley, which is a great opportunity for us to love the community around us. And we presented to you guys about 200 gifts, and so we have 68 left. And so we would love to knock that out today. Actually, we want this completed by December 4th, but if we can do this today, it would be amazing. How can you get involved with that? You can scan the QR code on the screen or the black QR code right there in front of you. Uh, It will basically send you to a link. that will send you to another link that sends you to uh, Amazon, and you can pick the gift out. Buy the gift, and it'll be shipped right here, and then we'll make sure the kids get those gifts. Unless they're a really cool toy, then I'll probably take that. But unless, um, we'll make sure these kids get that. So let's finish this up today. Don't miss that opportunity. Number two, uh, who in here loves Christmas music? Who in here is like me, and Christmas music is kind of like Olive Garden? Meh. Okay, that's me. Well, hey, for the rest of us. On uh, December 13th at 6.30, we're going to have a a worship night, and there's going to be a lot of Christmas music. So whether you like Christmas music or not, it's okay. Uh, We'll be uh, singing to Jesus together, and so make sure you do not miss that on December 13th, a night of worship. It'll be family style, so bring your kids in as well. It'll be a lot of fun. Usually they last about an hour or so, so don't miss that opportunity. And then lastly, if you guys have been with us for a little bit, you know we're doing our end of the year campaign called Beyond 2022. And so what we're doing is we're raising money to the end of the year at $100,000 together and we want all that money to go outside our walls or beyond our walls here and they're going to go with our partners and we have a partner in El Salvador, Carlos and Myra. They're actually Grace Point's very own people here. Uh they just moved there not too long ago and they're doing a lot of mission work down there, a lot of gospel work. We want to support them. We support Karim in Turkey. We support Andrew, which you uh, maybe a month or so ago you were here, the Irish fellow. We support him in Ireland and also Arjuna in India. And we also partner with Acts 29. Acts 29 is a global church planting network. Uh, I think Acts 29 right now has about 800 churches globally. We are one of those churches. We've been a part of Acts 29 for about 11 or 12 years now. Uh, and so we want to help support them because they are really uh, planting churches that plant churches. And so we got this short video. We want you to see if maybe you're new to Acts 29 and you want to know more about it. You can check out this video right now. X29 is a global network of over 700 churches worshiping in 50 countries with nearly 30 languages and we are committed to planting healthy, multiplying churches in every corner of the world. God is a global God and that He works through different ethnicities and cultures and languages around the world. Being faithful to God's great commission to make disciples and to plant churches churches
1: characterized by theological clarity cultural engagement and missional innovation
0: we believe that uh, the church is god's primary mission strategy for establishing his kingdom and his presence on earth we want to reach people with the gospel and our reach is amplified through acts 29 as a network, so more people will know and worship Each one of our members has been blessed by all the training that we have received as planters. We want our church to be a praying church and also a church that disciples others. This is what we do and this is who we are. We are people who plant churches. So Acts 29 accomplishes its mission uh, primarily through three things. By assessing potential church planters. We provide continued assistance for churches and leaders through coaching, trainings, and also relational connection. We get to collaborate with the whole Bride of Christ to plant churches, not only just in our areas, but we partner globally to plant churches. And as we partner together with Acts 29, with churches around the world, our efforts are multiplied, and God is glorified when we work together as a church. This is Acts 29. This is Acts 29. This is Acts 29. <laughs> this is Acts 29. This is Acts 29. Awesome. So I just want you to know, like, that's where you guys can go ahead. Yep. Uh, this is where all of the funds we raised for the Beyond 2022 uh, campaign will go. If I want to uh, get your attention over there to that wall on your left, my right. And you notice it's like a, a piece of art that's covered up with these little magnets. And on these little magnets, it has one of our partners on there. Uh, you just grab one of those off, you'll scan the QR code, and that's how you can give. Maybe there's not the dollar amount you want on up there, uh, up there. maybe it's already taken or something like that, or you've got like a random amount you want to give, like $38.17. If that is the case, just go ahead and scan the QR code, and you can leave the magnets up here. But one of the cool things about the magnets, it has uh, each one of our partner's faces on there. Uh, and Angie and I grabbed some of these, and we put them uh, on our little hallway on the way to the garage, and every time we walk by that now, we see them. We think about them and we pray for them. So you can kind of treat it like Pokemon and collect them all and make sure you grab those. And we want to see us reach this $100,000 goal, hundred goal that's going to go outside of the wall. So don't miss that opportunity. And then lastly, uh, Grace Point Church, we have a special guest preacher for you today. I was trying to think of all the things to say about you. It's Dr. Gary Beshears. Uh Maybe you were here yesterday for his spiritual warfare seminar. I uh, Heard it was amazing, but he's going to be preaching for us today. Uh, I've had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with Gary over, gosh, the past, I don't know, eight years or so. I've stayed at his house multiple times. Uh, The best thing about Gary is his wife, Sherry. Would you agree with that? Sherry's the best. Sorry, Gary. You're okay. Uh, He is just a very accomplished man. Uh, He he, he has a doctorate in theology. Uh, He is, um, three things I've heard I need to say about him. He is, number one, a happy grandpa number two a pastor to pastors which is very true I've uh, experienced that and number three the professor of theology at Western Seminary he's been married for over uh, 50 years and one of the the things I love most about Gary is that he is humble he is humble this man has written books this man like he is just well known around the world and yet you wouldn't know that when you meet him he's just he's present uh, he's kind he's generous He's hospitable, and it's just an absolute joy to call him friend and a friend of Grace Point Church. So Grace Point Church, would you please welcome Dr. Gary Bashirs?):
1: In all my glory, here I am. <laughs> Look at this picture. We've just been through a hope exercise here in the United States. What do we call that? What do we call, what's the hope exercise we've just been through here in the United States? Election. How did it turn out? I, yeah, the Lord won. Yeah. I, this, is, you know, this is the search that's going on for so many people is where is there hope? I mean, it's really cool to look at a picture like this, and I love this picture. Uh, but is there hope out there? You know, for so many people, you know, their hopes have been dashed in so many different ways, and it, we're, in a, we're, in a, we're in a period of despair and anxiety and darkness. Uh, I see the statistics on teenagers in our world. I mean, the prosperity is unparalleled but the anxiety is also unparalleled. Suicidality is incredibly high, not just among teens, but among, it's just, where's the hope? Where's the flower growing out of the crack in the darkness? Uh, And that, I mean, that's the question as we come up on Christmas season, I know it's not Thanksgiving yet, and it's sin to talk about Christmas before Thanksgiving, but we're going to do it anyway. I, where's the hope? I mean, that's, that's a question. And of course, I think we would say, where is the hope? Well, it's in Jesus. That is the hope. You know. And then, like the song we sang, where do I find you? Where do I find you? So I've entitled this sermon, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And I want to do a, I will not apologize for the fact of being a Bible geek. I'm totally, completely a Bible geek. Part of my thing is being involved with the Bible Project from the beginning, Bible's unified story leading to Jesus. And what I'm going to do today is take you through a fast-paced walk through scripture. You've got a handout. Uh, there's stuff in there for you to fill in blanks if you're so inclined. I put a bunch of scripture up here on screen, too much to have you turn in it, but I, I want to start here in Genesis 3, and we know the story if you've been around a bit, the Adam and Eve are in the garden, this beautiful place, and they're given, if any tree in the garden you may freely eat, enjoy my life. Uh, don't eat that tree, the tree of knowing good and bad, because that particular tree is the tree of define who will define what's good and bad and God says let me do that. And of course the serpent showed up and said to Eve, you know, you're a big girl now. Figure it out for yourself. Take a look and she does and it turns out horribly. And then God goes to the true enemy. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all wild animals, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now, this is not to explain why snakes crawl on the ground. This is what uh, the Oregon State lineman said to the Utah lineman yesterday. (laughs) You're going to eat dirt, man. (laughs) Now, to be fair, my oldest granddaughter, Nicole, is with the Beavers Marching Band and the administrator, and she just popped engagement ring two days ago. So there is hope. There really is. But this is a statement of humiliation. And then the key passage here. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will crush his heel. So the question, who is your offspring? Now this is Genesis 3. This is before there's anybody at Adam and Eve around and the serpent. Who is your offspring? Well, it's a prophecy. An offspring is those who will worship the serpent. So that's maybe little snakes, the other demonic beings and such, but those, that's the one who will worship and serve other gods. Or worship and serve themselves as God. But then there's something else hers. Who is her offspring? Well, at this place, it's a group, it's Messiah and those who will worship him. Which is many of you here, there may be some yet who are still seeking and wondering, should I worship this Messiah? And here's the promise He, so I ask questions you answer, right? Who is He? Who is the He? that's Messiah, will crush your, who is the your? That's a serpent. He will crush your head. So what happens when you crush a serpent's head? It kills it. And that's what the prophecy is. So the first promised Messiah prophecy, back from the very beginning, before there's anybody at Adam and Eve on this planet, is he is the serpent crusher. That's the first promise is this promised one who is yet to come will be the serpent crusher. So let's follow through a little bit further. Deuteronomy 18. This is Moses' speech to the people of Israel as they've been in Egypt for 100 years. They've been liberated. They've moved from Sinai up to Kadesh Barnea, refused to go in, so had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years before those people died. But the next generation is ready to go in, and Moses gives five sermons to them in Deuteronomy In the middle of this one, Deuteronomy 18, the Lord said to me, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command. Deuteronomy 34, the very end of the book. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hand on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. But it ends up like this. Verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord had put had knew face to face. What does that say? The promised Messiah, the promised one, has not come yet. This one, the Lord knew face to face, who did all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his officials, to the whole land, for no one has ever shown the mighty power and performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. Now there's a question here is who wrote this? This isn't for Moses. Who wrote this? Well, it could be Joshua, but it's already talked about Joshua. And maybe this is somebody toward the end of the New Old Testament period. This could be like from 200 B.C. There's still no one like that. We don't know what it is, but it's a statement of hope. And it's one of a prophet like Moses. This promised one will be a prophet like Moses. God will put his words in his mouth and he will speak and no word of his will fall to the ground the promised Messiah, will be a prophet like Moses as well as a serpent crusher. But we're not done yet because he's also a deliverer like Moses. Not only a prophet like Moses, but a deliverer who will bring the people out of bondage. Moses brought them out of Egypt. That redemption story is a redemption story that we're looking forward to. A prophet and a deliverer like Moses. Kick on to Psalm 110. David wrote the psalm. Now, question. In the heart of Israel, who is above David? He's the king of Israel. In the heart of Israel, who is above David? Come on. Who is above David? God. Okay. Who else? Well, what does it say here? Who is the Lord? All four letters capitalized. Who is that? That's Yahweh, that's God. The question is, to whom is David saying, the Lord, Yahweh said to my Lord? Who is my Lord? Now remember, this is Old Testament. No, it's not Saul. Saul is dead by now. Who is above David in the hierarchy of Israel? God, yes. Who else? My Lord, who is this my Lord? Now we who are post-New Testament know that Jesus put up that same thing and said, who is this, and pointing to himself. The my Lord, God says to him, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is the one who's going to overcome enemies. It's like a serpent crushing Messiah, doesn't it? The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So another line of promise here, because the, my Lord has to be somebody on a divine level. Nobody sits at the right hand of God except God. So it's a divine Messiah promise, but he will be a priest like Melchizedek. And there's a whole story about Melchizedek, the one that Abraham finds in the desert, the priest king of Salem. Jerusalem later on to whom Moses pays a tithe a worth of respect he will be a priest of a different order who will be coming 2 Samuel 7 the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you whom is this talking about whom is this 2 Samuel 7 talking about come on Bible geeks No, this is not us. Who is 2 Samuel 7 talking about? David. This is about David, the man who was anointed king by Samuel 20 years earlier, and Saul's been chasing him around in the desert trying to kill him. But now Saul is dead, and David is the king. And the Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, when he is dead, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Remember that word offspring? Where did we see that? Genesis 3.15. To succeed you, your own flesh and blood, I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. The promised Messiah will be a king like David. Men who rule in righteousness, except for one really, really, really bad day. Men after God's own heart. As we continue this cycle of prophecy about Messiah, Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, how do kings normally come into a city? They come in white steeds with all pomp and circumstance. This guy's weird, right? He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This one who is a king like David is the humble king. The humble king, but this humble king Will proclaim peace to the nations. This humble king who comes in on the colt of a donkey, lowliest of low, will proclaim peace to the nations. And Isaiah 42 says this Here's my servant whom I behold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. What does that mean? A bruised reed he will not break. It means he's so gentle that even a reed that's ready to flop over will not flop over. A smoldering wick will not snuff out. In the faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter, be discouraged, till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. So this one will be a servant who will not only proclaim peace to the nations, but will never falter nor be discouraged until he establishes peace and justice on earth. The prophecy of Messiah. You see this incredible picture is being built up, and we're not done yet. The promised snake-crushing Messiah, who is a priest like Melchizedek, a prophet like Messiah, like Moses, a humble king, a proclaimer, a servant who will do his work, Daniel 7. Daniel has this vision as it continues. And my vision, I to look there before is one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, what is a son of man? What is a son of man? Well, that's like my two bio kids, Don and David. What are they? They're human. That's what son of man means. What would be a different thing? Well, a son of God would be an angel or something like that coming with the clouds of heaven. So he's one like a son of man, here in Daniel chapter 7, which is to say he is like a human, Daniel chapter 7. But keep reading. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Now, who's the Ancient of Days? Who's the Ancient of Days? That's Yahweh. That's the eternal God, the creator of heaven and earth. He would approach the Ancient of Days, be led into his presence, and there in his presence he's given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and all peoples of every language do what? They worshipped him. Now, here on earth, who gets worshipped? All kinds of bad stuff. In the presence of the Ancient of Days, who gets worshipped? In the presence in the heavenly realms, in the presence of the ancient days, who gets worshipped? Only God. Only God gets worshipped. And this one, it goes on and says, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. What will happen to his kingdom? It's never going down. Kingdoms come and go. This son of man will receive all authority and be worshipped by all nations, all peoples, as this promise goes on. This is the coming Messiah. And the only people, remember, the only people get worship in heaven are divine beings. Like Psalm 110, this is a prophecy of a Messiah coming who will be divine, not just a merely human Messiah. We're not done yet. Isaiah 7, well-known passage. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So he is the virgin-born son of God. God with us. What an incredible, what an incredible. But see, we're not quite done yet. Because that prophecy goes on in Psalm 2. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And you wonder, who is this one? Who is this one? Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the end of the earth, your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like pottery. Now, if you've said Messiah many times as I have, Handel's Messiah, this is the wrong words. It's a "You shall break them as a potter's vessel," that last line should be. What is Messiah going to do, according to this prophecy? What is Messiah going to do? What is he going to do? I mean, you saw it. What's he going to do? He's going to crush the evil nations." And what it's saying here is this virgin-born Son of God, will it be establishing God's righteous kingdom and destroying? the evil kingdoms that destroy righteousness this is the coming Messiah he is the serpent crusher he is the priest and deliverer like Moses he is the oh, sorry, prophet and deliverer, he is the priest like Melchizedek he is the king like David who is a humble king who will proclaim peace to the nations he is a servant who will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes just of course the entire earth Son of man who receives all authority and be worshipped by everyone, the virgin-born son establishing God's kingdom that will never be crushed. That's the picture of who Messiah is, and we're not done yet. Daniel chapter 2. Dream of Nebuchadnezzar, the fourfold statue, but... As the statue is standing there, while you were watching, he tells Nebuchadnezzar, the dream, a rock was cut out, but not by human's hand. It struck the statue on his feet of iron and clay and smashed them. And his interpretation, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. What's this, what's this rock coming out of heaven going to do? It's going to crush all the nations. So I had one more line here. He destroys evil kingdom, destroys righteous like a huge rock falling from heaven. This is the portrait of the coming Messiah. This is the portrait of the Messiah who will be the snake-crushing Messiah. And we sing, Come, thou long-expected Jesus. What were the people in Jesus' day looking for? that Messiah. It's often said, oh, they were just nationalistic people. No, no, they were looking for a rock-crushing Messiah, a serpent-crushing rock that would destroy the nations. That's what they were looking for. Now, here's something that just... I'm just intrigued with all kinds of things. Sorry about that, kind of sorry about that. Uh, One of the things that popped up here just recently, now, many of you know that in... Daniel, it talks about there's a the Daniel nine, it talks about a period of time, 490 years, all that kind of stuff. Well, that period is coming to an end, and people are eagerly anticipating the coming of Messiah because of Daniel's prophecy. The very interesting thing is there's all kinds of literature that's being published. We know some of that is the Dead Sea Scrolls found in a cave down near the Dead Sea, at Qumran. And in the Dead Sea materials, there's a lot of material there. There's all kinds of Second Temple era literature that's floating around. And here just recently, uh, back in 2001, 2002, somewhere in that era, uh, is a thing that's been called Mm. Gabriel's Revelation. And Gabriel's Revelation is a pre-Christian prophecy about a murdered leader of the Jews. Now, this is not the only place this shows up. There's other documents that talk about a murdered leader of the Jews, but this one is, is unique. This is the man who bought it. This is a Jewish antiquities dealer who lives in Switzerland. He's an expert in Jewish antiquities, and he bought this big old rock and took it back with him to Switzerland. had it shipped up there, probably, and this is what it looks like. It's a big rock, You can see it's two columns of ancient Hebrew reading. Some of it's pretty plain, some of it's pretty faded. And this is like a Dead Sea scroll. Instead of being written on a scroll, it's actually written on a rock. It was probably in a wall somewhere, we don't know. And he had this thing for quite a while. And Ada Yardeni, who's a Jewish antiquities expert, she was at his house. He brought it out to show it to her she began reading carefully what was going on and she was stunned by what she found and called some friends to look at it and they looked at it together. You see it right there. You can all read that, right? (laughs) Hebrew goes from right to left and that line, you can see it begins pretty clear and gets kind of faded toward the end but some experts in ancient Hebrew writing have, have translated this way. In three days you shall live. I, Gabriel, command you, prince of princes. Now, who's Gabriel? That's the angel. He's the guy who shows up in Daniel, pretty regularly explains things. He's the guy that's going to show up to Mary and Joseph and explain some things to them. And Now, this is not scripture. This is Qumran-type material. This is just literature that's floating around. This is in somebody's house or temple. We don't know where it is. In three days you shall live. What does that suggest? This is the murdered Jewish leader. I, Gabriel, command you prince of princes. Now, what's prince of princes? Well, that's Daniel's phrase for Messiah. What is this predicting? What do you call it? Resurrection. Now, this is pre christian The experts are saying, and they're good at this sort of stuff, is the script and this kind of stuff, this is coming back from the Qumran era, late first century B.C. This is typical of other stuff floating around, and this has just come to light in the past 20 years. It's predicting a dead Messiah who will be resurrected in three days. Does that sound at all familiar? Gabriel's Revelation is talking about a murder leader of the Jews. What's another name for a leader of the Jews? Messiah. He's talking about a murdered Messiah. And what does it predict about him? Who will be resurrected in three days. Now, this is pre-Christian. This is pre-Christian. This is typical of other Stuff floating around in the devotional literature of the Jews of that day. There's a part of the Jews that are looking for a divine Messiah. There's a part of the Jews that are looking for a murdered Messiah who will be resurrected in three days. Hmm. And what do we say about... Now, if you want to know more about Gabriel's prophecy, this is my website, brishers.net. And if you go to that, one of the things there is called Grace Forums. And the links you click on that, it will take you to a bunch of material I've gathered together in Gabriel's Revelation because I'm just fascinated by it. So if you go to Brashears.net, you can explore to your heart's content. If you're a Googler, you can Google and look for Gabriel's Revelation. A bunch of stuff will show up, but I've collected a lot of it in there. Now, what is the line of Messiah we're talking about here up to now? We've been talking about a triumphant Messiah whose kingdom was established. He will crush the nation and establish justice throughout the earth. He will crush the serpent and unrighteousness. But there's another line. There's another line. Psalm 52. Oh, sorry, Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52. This is also a servant psalm, like Isaiah 42. See my servant lacked act wise, he be raised and lifted up, highly exalted, just where there are many were, were what? Now wait a minute. That's not the picture we've been seeing. His appearance was so disfigured beyond any human being his form was marred beyond human likeness that's a different picture this promised Messiah will be what? appalling disfigured he grew up before him like a tender shoot like a root of dry ground he had what? no beauty or majesty that would attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected, man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Does that sound like a serpent-crushing Messiah? Does that sound like a leader like Moses? Does that sound like a priest after the order of Melchizedek? Appalling, disfigured, despised, suffering, sorrowful. That's Isaiah 52, 53, keeps going. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Wait a minute, have we seen that word before? Crushed? Where did we see it before? Genesis 3:15. who's crushing whom? Genesis 3:15. who's crushing whom? Messiah is crushing the serpent. Here... Messiah is crushed for our iniquities, pierced for our transgressions, and what? Crushed for our iniquities. This is a totally different picture than the triumphant Messiah, the serpent-crushing, justice-establishing, nation-destroying king. It goes on. The punishment brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds you are healed. Yet, and this is a, this is an incredible verse. Everything in this is wrong. Everything in this verse is wrong. What is it saying? It was the Lord. Who is that? That's Yahweh. Will do what? Crush him. Who is the him? the Son of God, the Son of God, and cause him to suffer. Now, what I want to do right now is grab my phone and call CPS. This is not okay. I mean, this is seriously not okay. Because what it's saying here is he's crushed by God. I want you to dwell on that a little bit, how wrong that is. It's the Lord's will to crush him, cause him to suffer. But it goes on. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, at that point we think of John's baptism. The next day the Lord, John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Reminds us of that passage. Remember Genesis 3? What's the next line? Who is the you? Who is the you? Serpent. Who is the his? Messiah. Genesis 3.15, not only has Messiah will crush serpent's head, it has serpent will crush his heel. What happens when a serpent strikes, crushes, your heel. Now this is not a garter snake. This is a Palestinian viper. What if a Palestinian viper strikes your heel? What happens? It kills you. So part of this prophecy is the snake crushing Messiah will be crushed by the snake. And you look at that. You will crush his heel. That's substitution. In your themes of atonement. This is he will take our punishment in our place. He will take this cost death, though he deserved no such thing. But the line before that, the first line, is the triumph. So you get this multi-themed atonement. There's just two of many. The first one is triumph. He will crush the serpent, but he will do it at the cost of his own life, his life given for ours. So that we can he takes our Sin to himself so he can give us his life. But keep reading here Isaiah 53 the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper. Now, I told the people yesterday, Mrs. Johnson lives in my head. She's like a demonic presence, my ninth grade grammar Nazi teacher. I've tried to exercise her many times. She will not be exercised. Demons, no problem. Mrs. Johnson lives forever. What's the referent of he? He will see his offspring. Who is he? I think it's the same one as him up here. Who is the he who will see his offspring? The one who is crushed will see his offspring and prolong his days. Now, it's possible that's referring to God. But I think it's referring to Messiah. What does it mean if Messiah will see his offspring? What does that suggest? It means he's going to be raised to life by God. Again, we get this prophecy now in Isaiah 53 of a crushed Messiah, crushed by the Father for the sake of our... getting our transgressions. He suffered to see the light of life, be satisfied in the knowledge my righteous one will justify many and I will give him a portion among the great. He would divide the spoils of the strong, yet poured his life unto death, numbered his transgressors, for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for his transgressors. So you see another line here. He's raised by life by God, honored and exalted. In Acts chapter 1, this is at the end of Jesus' life. He says he's ascended into heaven. Men of Galilee, they say, why do you stand here looking at the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And in Matthew 25, it talks about the Son of Man comes in his glory. All the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate his people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. To return and judge. Now here's the question. Here's the question. How do you reconcile the two Messiahs? How do you reconcile one line of promise, the snake crushing, justice establishing, unrighteous nation destroying Messiah, and the one who is crushed by the Father, who will be murdered? One line of work in the Jewish world was to have two messiahs. This is what you find in the Torah, or in the Talmud. You find one, Mashiach Bar Yosef, Messiah son of Joseph, who will be murdered. You find another, Messiah ben David, Messiah son of David, who is a triumphant two messiahs, one who will be murdered, one who will be triumphant. That's one way to solve the problem. What's another way to solve the problem? And this is the Christian interpretation. The truth of who Jesus is, is he comes, humbles himself, the very God of all heaven, second person of the Trinity, comes in all his humility. And as we will see and celebrate again in a month or so, he comes to Bethlehem. Now, this is the king of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, comes to Bethlehem. Who comes to greet him? Who comes to welcome him to this world? Shepherds. What's the social status of shepherds in ancient Israel? About the same as homeless people living on the streets here of Las Vegas. If President Biden were to show up here in Las Vegas, McCarran Airport, and the only people to welcome him were homeless people from the streets of, what would that be? An incredible insult. The God of the universe comes as is insulted by the leaders who knew he was coming and refused to come greet him. He went to Egypt to flee for his life, take his young baby, because they're gonna kill him. And now he's living as a refugee in Egypt. What's that like? Think of Syrian refugees that are now in Germany. They're despised, have no place in the society. He goes back to Nazareth, grew up in this little burg up in northern Israel. And he goes out to play bla- the playground to play with the boys. What do the boys say to him on the playground? Hey, bastard boy, where's your daddy? What do you call that? What do you call that? Bullying. Who is this? This is the God Most High who's being bullied by nasty teenagers on the playground. Then he goes into Jerusalem. The high priest, after a period of time, sent his soldiers to arrest him they take him to a back room at Caiaphas' house, and Caiaphas' high priest says to his soldiers, get him. And the scripture just gives us a bit. They mocked him, insulted him, and beat him. That leaves a lot of room for us to think what happens. What do men do to men? When the boss said, show him what he's worth. He went through incredible abuse. And then he went to a cross. Who is this? This is the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, who comes to take the worst of the worst. Why? And the answer is... to share our life, to take the penalty for our sins, to take the shame of our being to himself be crushed as a sacrifice by the God of the universe, his Father, so that we can give from him the forgiveness of sins, his honor for our shame, his life for our death, and join the very family of the God of the universe as an act of grace and a gift to us. But we also look for the fact that we're in a period now between the first coming and the promised return, and this will be the crushing Messiah, the judging Messiah, who will say, that's it. Because many of us, and I'm one of those, who say, how long, oh Lord, will you let this go on? I do a lot of work with people who have been terribly damaged by life. I've got an adopted daughter who grew up in hell. The first quarter century of her life could not have been worse. And I say, how long, O Lord, will you let this go on? Foster kids, what does that mean? They've been thrown away by their parents or taken away. Because how long, O Lord? That's our cry all the time. How long, O Lord? God, why do you let this happen? And what does God say to us? I've commissioned you to be messengers of hope and workers of justice until I come. We say, God, you've failed. He said, wait a minute, I'm working hard. I want you to join me in establishing justice through churches like Grace Point here in Las Vegas, Grace Community Church, my own church in Gresham, Oregon. I want you to be ministers of peace and justice now and do it faithfully until I come back and then I'll shut the system down. And I say, how long, oh Lord? I was with my adopted daughter in a hospital room with her brother a few years ago. He was up having surgery at Veterans Hospital there in Portland. And Cindy and Steve were talking to each other and I was there and along with Steve's wife. And I was listening to their talk and kind of listening with half my brain and praying about a really nasty situation I'm involved with and I was demanding God God, Isaiah 64, rend the heavens, get down here and kill somebody because what they're doing I feel very free to give my advice to God. He feels very free to ignore it. But I was so angry at what was going on in this particular situation, I was demanding God get down here and kill this evildoer. That's an imprecatory prayer. I think it's a biblical prayer to pray. I'm not doing it, but I'm asking God to do it. Stop it, God. And at that point, I realized, had God come 30 years earlier, Cindy and Steve would be in hell. Because they were practitioners of evil at that point. They had not yet been saved. Friends here at Grace Point, we are here to bring hope to this world. And it comes to the cross of Jesus Christ. But he not only gave us life in Christ, he gave us a mission to be reconcilers of the world, bearers of hope to victims like Cindy, but also a message of hope to perpetrators like Cindy's dad and brother's. Steve never was one who hurt Cindy, but he was a part of the family. And he came to Christ, and he's now toward the end of his life. We bring hope to the nations in the name of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, as a father of two fine sons, I can't even imagine the pain and horror of crushing your own son for our benefit. Far from divine child abuse, Son, Jesus, you are full participant, actively choosing to be there to be the sacrifice for our sins so that we can have your honor, your life, your hope, your courage. Holy Spirit, you've been poured out upon us. Receive you, receive your power, receive your hope, receive your strength. Empower us as grace point church here as a church of jesus christ around the world to bring hope to the hopeless to bring redemption to the lost to bring new life to the sinners to bring meaning to the anxiety ridden suicide thinking people we come in the name of jesus to bring hope empower us to do that we pray in jesus name
0: amen